Welcome to the Epiphany Lutheran Church podcast. These messages, based on a biblical text, interpreting the hearer's situation, informed by Christian teaching, creatively proclaim the crucified and risen Jesus of Nazareth for forgiveness and new life starting now. Epiphany Lutheran Church is located in South City, St. Louis, Missouri. Our vision is to be a community that puts Jesus first, neighbors second, and ourselves third by gathering to be served by him so we can grow to love as he loves. Learn more at epiphany-stl.org. That's epiphany-stl.org. Mark chapter 6, beginning at the 14th verse. Jesus called the 12 disciples, and he proceeded to send them out with a commission, two by two. And when they went out, they preached that people repent. Repent now. And they began to drive out many demons and to anoint with oil many sick people to heal them. Now, King Herod heard about this. You see, Jesus' name had become quite well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Others were saying, it is Elijah. And others, he is a prophet, a prophet like, like, one, like one of the prophets of old. But Herod, when he heard it, began saying, the, the one whom I beheaded, John, John has been raised from the dead. You know, Herod himself had sent for and seized John and bound him in prison. He did this on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not right for you to have your brother's wife. And so Herodias was nursing a grudge against John and she wanted to kill him. But she couldn't because Herod greatly respected John and knew that he was a righteous and holy man and he was trying to protect him. Now, whenever Herod heard John, he was, was very much at a loss. Still, he liked listening to him. But an opportune time came when Herod, on his birthday, threw a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And after the daughter of Herodias came in right there and danced for them, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the the king said to her, Ask me for whatever you want. And I'll give it to you. And he swore an oath to her. Whatever you ask me, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Upon leaving, the girl went out and said to her mother, What shall I request for myself? The head of John the baptizer, she said. And immediately The girl hurried in and made her request to the king. I want you to give me, right now, on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. And even though the king was terribly sorry, he didn't want to break his word to her on account of his oaths and his his dinner guests. And so immediately he sent with a commission a guard to bring John's head. And the guard went and beheaded John in prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. 
When John's disciples heard, they came and took the corpse and laid it in a tomb. The apostles proceeded to gather around Jesus and to tell him all that they had done and all that they had taught. And he says to them, come with me to a deserted place and get some rest. We see many people were coming and going and very often they didn't even have a chance to eat. And so they went away in their boat to a secluded place by themselves with Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. In his book, The Insanity of God, Nick Ripkin recounts a story of Stoyan, a man he met in Eastern Europe. Stoyan means stand firm. It's a common name in that part of the world. Stoyan grew up there after World War II when communist dictatorships and religious intolerance were spreading over Eastern Europe like an iron curtain. Stoyan's father was a Christian pastor. When he was 12 years old, his father was arrested, arrested for preaching and teaching people about Jesus. He was held in custody for the next 10 years. Before they moved him to the labor camp, Stoyan was, Stoyan's father was held at the, the headquarters of the local secret police. And while he was there, one of the guards brought him a piece of toast for breakfast every morning. Every morning for nine months, this guard brought him a piece of toast with some of that guard's excrement spread atop the toast like butter. Nine months later, he was transferred to the labor camp. Stoyan and his mother were allowed to come to the police station to say goodbye, and when, when Stoyan saw the skeletal figure of a man before him, he didn't recognize him at first, not until he, he saw his eyes. He ran to his father and hugged him. I'm so proud of you, Papa, he said. And Stoyan's mother had brought a pocket New Testament. She was going to sneak it to her husband because she knew this would be the one thing that he wanted the most. But a guard saw her. He confiscated it. And looking at the little book with disgust, he said, Woman, don't you realize that it is because of this book and because of your God that your husband is here? I can kill him. I can kill you. I can even kill your son and I will be applauded for it by my comrades. Stoyan's mother calmly said to the officer, You are right, sir. You can kill my husband. You can kill me. I know that you can even kill our son. But nothing you can do will separate us from the love that is in Jesus Christ. Stoyan, his mother, and three brothers were forced from their home. Members of a church in a town nearby heard their story. They provided a home for them, scraped together enough food and supplies to support them. Stoyan's family was allowed to visit their papa only two times until he was released ten years later. Ten years in prison. Ten years of physical, mental, emotional torture. Why? For preaching Jesus teaching people about the God of the Bible. 
When I hear stories like that, along with the account of John the Baptist's strange and grotesque execution recorded in the Gospel of Mark, I ask myself, what, what good is this faith? What good does it do? Do you ever wonder that? What, what good is this? Why, what, why, are we, why are we doing this? What good is it to have Jesus as our king? What good is it today to have Jesus as our king? We're going to answer that question. Before we get to an answer that we can embrace together, let's consider two other possible answers. We'll call the first one the prosperity gospel answer to the question, what good does it do today to have Jesus as king? And then, and then second, we'll consider the just wait till heaven answer to the question, what good does it do today to have Jesus as king? Let's start with the prosperity gospel answer. Recently, a popular televangelist named Jesse Duplantis asked his viewers, his followers, to prayerfully consider giving his ministry donations so that he could purchase a new private jet. Not just any jet, a Dassault Falcon 7X, which runs about $50 million. I haven't listened to much else of what Jesse Duplantis has to say, but I think that his message is fairly representative of what is commonly called the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is the belief that oodles and oodles of cash, cars, mansions, private jets, these are a sure sign that God likes what you're doing and wants you to do more of it. It's the belief that if you're good, God will repay you. If you're faithful, God will give you in this mortal life health and wealth and happiness. Preachers of the prosperity gospel believe that material blessings, physical blessings are a reflection of God's favor. In that video about the new jet, which would be the fourth private jet in his collection, Jesse Duplantis said, I really believe that if Jesus was present physically on earth today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. He'd be up in an airplane preaching the gospel all over the world, presumably riding in style in his private jet in a personal first-class executive cabin. What good is it today? to have Jesus as our king. One way to answer would be from the prosperity gospel perspective. If you make Jesus the Lord of your life right now, if you sincerely believe, then he will bless you. Ask and it shall be given to you. Health, wealth, honor, comfort, all can be yours. It's only a heartfelt believer's prayer away. The prosperity gospel answer gets at least one thing right and at least one thing wrong. There is truth in the prosperity gospel answer, albeit a twisted truth. The truth is that Jesus is presently king of the entire universe. He is, although not the undisputed king, he is the true king already today. He's already the owner of all the money in the world, already the owner of all the property in the world. Not only did he create it, but also... By his life, by his suffering, his death, his, his resurrection, his ascension to the throne of God, Jesus has redeemed the universe. It all belongs to him. And now, even today, he presently rules over all of it for the good of the love of his life, his body, his bride, the church. That's what the prosperity gospel answer gets right. What does it get wrong? 
what it gets wrong is where it looks for God's favor, where it looks to find God's love. Power, honor, and wealth are not always a reflection of God's favor. Take Herod, for example, as recorded in Mark's gospel. Now, Herod's a religious guy. He's a Jew. He believes in God. And if you ask him if he was doing God's will, he would say, yes, absolutely. He might even say that he is God's chosen king, that he's the Messiah. That's probably what was going on with the business of him marrying his brother Philip's wife. What he was trying to do was consolidate his power, power that his, his father, Herod the Great, had, power that he's trying to get back. He wanted to be the undisputed king of the Jews, the Messiah. And the signs of God's favor that were upon him were his wealth, his power, his honor, his, his friendship with Caesar. He could snap his fingers and make things happen. He says jump. People say, how high? Yet when we listen to Mark's story, it's clear that Herod is not the one that God has chosen to be king. He might have power and glory, but he does not have God's favor. He's not on God's side. In contrast, the one who is on God's side, the one who does have God's favor, God's messenger, John, John has no power, no possessions, no honor. John dies a shameful death, the butt of a bad joke. His severed head served up as the after-dinner entertainment on a platter. And later, the king that John was following, the king whose way John had prepared, God's chosen king gets treated in the same way. Jesus rides into his city, into Jerusalem, on a borrowed donkey. Later, he's threatened and ridiculed by the wealthy and the powerful of that city. He's crucified. He's buried in a borrowed tomb. And that's the guy that God favors the most. That's the guy that God loves the most. Among the many things that the prosperity gospel preachers get wrong, this is the crucial error. We do not find God's favor in the presence of material blessings or in the absence of them. We have God's favor because we have come to be associated with Jesus. We've been baptized into his death and resurrection his once and for all sacrifice for us on the cross continues to sustain us in the Lord's Supper. And when we come to him seeking his forgiveness, seeking his strength, he promises never to hold our sins against us. These are the signs of God's love. These are the signs of God's favor. But we still have to answer our question. What good is it? to be associated with Jesus today? What good does it do to have Jesus as our king? Now, we know that whatever good means, it cannot mean health, wealth, and fame. If that were the answer, then we'd have to say that the people who get these goods in this mortal life, then they're the ones most loved by God, and everyone else is cursed at best or writing economy class at, at best. The prosperity gospel doesn't match the New Testament gospel. Throughout the New Testament, the lives of those associated with Jesus resemble the life of Jesus. The lives of those who are associated with Jesus 
begin to more and more resemble the life of the crucified Jesus. Like John the Baptist, you read in the, in the book of Acts, Jesus' followers, many of them were imprisoned, stripped of their possessions, some died in shame. What did Paul say? 2 Corinthians, he said, five times I was scourged with whips. Three times I was beaten. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And when I was on journeys, I was in danger from rivers, danger from waters, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, the daily pressure of my of my anxiety for all the churches, the churches that I planted, who is weak and I am not weak? Who, who is not tempted? Who is tempted to sin and I do not inwardly burn? And so if I'm going to boast, I will boast about the things that, that show my weakness. So let's consider a second answer to our question. We might answer our question like this. So the question is, what good does it do today to have Jesus as our king? We might answer, it does no good today. We just got to wait till we die and go to heaven. Let's call this the wait till heaven answer. Like the prosperity gospel answer, it gets at least one thing right and at least one thing wrong. Here's what it gets right. Even though we know for certain that nothing can separate us from God's love in Jesus, This does not mean that we're going to get the material and social and emotional blessings that we're looking for in this mortal life. That's what the wait till heaven answer gets right. But here's what it gets wrong. Jesus' kingdom is already breaking into this mortal life today. Right now, you don't have to wait until your family collects your death certificate to enjoy, to to receive the gifts of the, of the kingdom of God that is coming in Jesus. You have them today already. You've been baptized into Jesus. You already died with him. You're no longer captive to sin, to death, no longer a slave to the powers of this age. Those powers have no more power over you. You don't have to wait till heaven because heaven has invaded earth today. Today you know and you have the power of his resurrection. Today you have the courageous faith of John who spoke the truth in Jesus even when it got him in trouble. Today you have the love of Stoyan's mother who answered the guard's threat with quiet and confident faith. Today you have the undying hope of Paul. And you can say with Paul, who shall separate us from the love of the king? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, danger or nakedness or sword? As it is written, for your sake all day long we are being killed. We are treated like sheep led to the slaughter. No. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors, completely victorious through him who loved us. You see, I am convinced that neither 
death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, neither present nor future, nor any powers. I am convinced that neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in King Jesus, our Lord. What good is it today to have Jesus as our King? Here's an answer that we can embrace. In every trouble, in every blessing, Jesus is here. He sent his spirit to guide, to strengthen, and to cheer. In every trouble, in every blessing, Jesus is here. He sent his spirit to guide, to strengthen, and to cheer. Stoyan and his family saw the power and presence of the risen Jesus even under the Iron Curtain. When Stoyan's father was released from prison, he went back to being a pastor. One Sunday, an elderly woman came to him asking for help. She explained that her her son, middle-aged son, suffered from diabetes. He had recently gone blind, and now he was likely dying. And she was trying to get some medication for him to help him ease his pain but she wasn't allowed access to the medication because she was a Christian and the authorities, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let her buy any. So she asked Stoyan's father for help and he said that he would try to pull some strings, try to get the, the medication, which he was able to do. And after he got it, he brought it to her. Grateful for what he'd done, she, she welcomed Stoyan's father into her, her home, into her small and dingy apartment. She said to him, Let me introduce you to my son. Please, please pray for him. She led him back to a small room in the corner of the house and Stoyan's father entered and he saw a a middle-aged man, blind, invalid, lying helpless in a bed. And immediately he recognized him. It was the guard that had brought him breakfast Every day for nine months, toast buttered with human excrement. Stoyan's father had to step aside and he offered a desperate prayer. Oh Jesus, do not let me fail you now. Do not let me fail you. He sat down next to the man with his mother and he helped her administer the medication. And in his heart, he found a power to forgive this man. And then he and his mother, they prayed. He prayed that that Jesus the Lord Jesus would pour out his mercy on this man, this poor, dying, miserable sinner. As he walked home that afternoon, Stoyan's father found a new and deeper appreciation, a a deeper understanding of, of what it means, what good it does to have Jesus as your king. Amen.